words. So innocent and powerless as they are, as standing in a dictionary, how potent for good and evil they become in the hands of one who knows how to combine them. Hi there, and welcome to another midweek coronavirus special episode of Folksy, the storytelling podcast. And no, that does not mean that we're going to talk about the virus itself. There's both much more and much less qualified people than myself already talking way too much about it for my own peace of mind as a hyperactive person. So let's talk about the person who I quoted at the beginning. There's a special list of authors out there who've become familiar to people through but one of their landmark works, but actually wrote way more than most people care to explore. Sadly, our author of the day, Nathaniel Hawthorne, is one such persona. If you've heard of him, it's probably been because of The Scarlet Letter, which no doubt is a culturally and historically important work, being a poignant fictional recounting of the harsh reality of religious guilt and sin faced up by countless single mothers, uh, you know, women who had children out of wedlock during the puritanical times. But, you know, that's not why we're here. We don't do overly long here at Foxy. Not since the first episode, anyway. And Mr. Hawthorne was kind enough to publish a collection of short stories first, titled Twice Told Tales. So, without further ado, let's get on with today's tale. Sunday at Home by Nathaniel Hawthorne Every Sabbath morning in the summertime, I thrust back the curtain to watch the sunrise stealing down a steeple which stands opposite my chamber window. First, the weathercock begins to flash. Then, a fainter luster gives the spire an airy aspect. Next, it encroaches on the tar and causes the index of the dial to glisten like gold as it points to the gilded figure of the hour. Now the loftiest window gleams and now the lower. The carved framework of the portal is marked strongly out. At length, the morning glory in its descent from heaven comes down the stone steps one by one, and there stands the steeple, glowing with fresh radiance, while the shades of twilight still hide themselves among the nooks of the adjacent buildings. Methinks, though the same sun brightens it every fair morning, yet the steeple has a peculiar robe of brightness for the Sabbath. By dwelling near a church, a person soon contracts an attachment for the edifice. We naturally personify it and conceive its massy walls and its dim emptiness to be instinct with a calm and meditative and somewhat melancholy spirit. But the steeple stands foremost in our thoughts, as well as locally. It impresses us as a giant with a mind comprehensive and discriminating enough to 
care for the great and small concerns of all the town. Arley, while it speaks a moral to the few that think, it reminds thousands of busy individuals of their separate and most secret affairs. It is the steeple too that flings abroad the hurried and irregular accents of general alarm. Neither have gladness and festivity found a better utterance than by its tongue. And when the dead are slowly passing to their home, the steeple has a melancholy voice to bid them welcome. Yet, in spite of this connection with human interests, what a moral loneliness on weekdays broods around about its stately height. It has no kindred with the houses above which it towers. It looks down into the narrow thoroughfare, the lonelier because the crowds are elbowing their passage at its base. A glance at the body of the church deepens this impression. Within, by the light of distant windows, amid refracted shadows, we discern the vacant pews and empty galleries, the silent organ, the voiceless pulpit, and the clock which tells to solitude how time is passing. Time, where man lives not, what is it but eternity? And in the church, we might suppose, are garnered up throughout the week all thoughts and feelings that have reference to eternity until the holy day comes round again to let them forth. Might not then its more appropriate site be in the outskirts of the town, with space for old trees to wave around it and throw their solemn shadows over a quiet green? We will say more of this hereafter. But on the Sabbath, I watch the earliest sunshine and fancy that a holier brightness marks the day when there shall be no buzz of voices on the exchange, nor traffic in the shops, nor crowd, nor business anywhere but at church. Many have fancied so. For my own part, whether I see it scattered down among tangled woods, or beaming broad across the fields, or hemmed in between brick buildings, or tracing out the figure of the casement on my chamber floor. Still, I recognize the Sabbath sunshine. And ever let me recognize it. Some illusions, and this among them, are the shadows of great truths. Doubts may flit around me, or seem to close their evil wings and settle down, but so long as I imagine that the earth is hallowed and the light of heaven retains its sanctity on the Sabbath, while that blessed sunshine lives within me, never can my soul have lost the instinct of its faith. If it have gone astray, it will return again. I love to spend such pleasant Sabbaths from morning till night behind the curtain of my open window. Are they spent amiss? Every spot so near the church as to be visited by the circling shadow of the steeple should be deemed consecrated ground today. 
With stronger truth be it said that a devout heart may consecrate a den of thieves as an evil one may convert a temple to the same. My heart perhaps has no such holy nor I would fain trust such impious potency. It must suffice that though my form be absent, my inner man goes constantly to church. While many whose bodily presence fills the accustomed seats have left their souls at home. But I am there even before my friend the sexton. At length he comes. A man of kindly but somber aspect in dark grey clothes and hair of the same mixture. He comes and applies the key to the wide portal. Now, my thoughts may go in among the dusty pews or ascend the pulpit without sacrilege, but soon come forth again to enjoy the music of the bell. How glad, yet solemn too. All the steeples in town are talking together aloft in the sunny air and rejoicing among themselves while their spires point heavenward. Meantime, here are the children assembling to the Sabbath school, which is kept somewhere within the church. Often, while looking at the arched portal, I have been gladdened by the sight of a score of these little girls and boys in pink, blue, yellow and crimson frocks, bursting suddenly forth into the sunshine like a swarm of gay butterflies that had been shut up in the solemn gloom. Or I might compare them to cherubs haunting that holy place. <laughs> About a quarter of an hour before the second ringing of the bell, individuals of the congregation began to appear. The earliest is invariably an old woman in black, whose bent frame and rounded shoulders are evidently laden with some heavy affliction, which she is eager to rest upon the altar. With that, the Sabbath came twice as often for the sake of that sorrowful old soul. There is an elderly man also who arrives in good season and leans against the corner of the tower just within the line of its shadow, looking downward with a darksome brow. I sometimes fancy that, that the old woman is the happier of the two. After these, others drop in singly and by twos and threes, either disappearing through the doorway or taking their stand in its vicinity. At last, and always with an unexpected sensation, the bell turns in the steeple overhead and throws out an irregular clangor, jarring the tar to its foundation. As if there were magic in the sound, the sidewalks of the street, both up and down along, are immediately thronged with two long lines of people, all converging hitherward and streaming into the church. Perhaps the far-off roar of a coach draws nearer, a deeper thunder by its contrast with the surrounding stillness, until it sets down the wealthy worshippers at the portal among their humblest brethren.
beyond that entrance, in theory at least, there are no distinctions of earthly rank. Nor indeed by the goodly apparel which is flaunting in the sun would there seem to be such on the hither side. Those pretty girls, why will they disturb my pious meditations? Of all the days in the week, they should strive to look least fascinating on the Sabbath instead of heightening their mortal loveliness, as if to rival the blessed angels and keep our thoughts from heaven. Were I the minister myself, I must needs look. One girl is white muslin from the waist upward and black silk downward to her slippers. A second blushes from top knot to shoot eye, one universal scarlet. Another shines of a pervading yellow as if she had made a garment of the sunshine. The greater part, however, have adopted a milder cheerfulness of hue. Their wails, especially when the wind raises them, give a lightness to the general effect and make them appear like airy phantoms as they flit up the steps and vanish into the somber doorway. Nearly all, though it is very strange that I should know it, wear white stockings, white as snow, and neat slippers laced crosswise with black ribbon pretty high above the ankles. A white stocking is infinitely more effective than a black one. Here comes the clergyman, slow and solemn, in severe simplicity, needing no black silk gown to denote his office. His aspect claims my reverence, but cannot win my love. Were I to picture St. Peter keeping fast the gate of heaven and frowning, more stern than pitiful, on the wretched applicants, that face should be my study. By middle age, or sooner, the creed had generally wrought upon the heart or been attempered by it. As the minister passes into the church, the bell holds its iron tongue and all the low murmur of the congregation dies away. The grey sexton looks up and down the street and then at my window curtain where through the small peephole I half fancy that he has caught my eye. Now every loiterer has gone in and the street lies asleep in the quiet sun while a feeling of loneliness comes over me and brings also an uneasy sense of neglected privileges and duties. Oh, I ought to have gone to church. The bustle of the rising congregation reaches my ears. They are standing up to pray. Could I bring my heart into unison with those who are praying in yonder church and lift it heavenward with a fervor of supplication, but no distinct request? Would not that be the safest kind of prayer? Lord, look down upon me in mercy. With that sentiment gushing from my soul, might I not leave all the rest to him? Hark, the hymn. This, at least, is a portion of the service which I can enjoy better than if I sat within the walls where the full choir and the massive melody of the organ would fall with a weight upon me. At this distance, it 
thrills through my frame and plays upon my heartstrings with the pleasure both of the sense and spirit. Heaven be praised. I know nothing of music as a science, and the most elaborate harmonies, if they please me, please as simply as a nurse's lullaby. The strain has ceased, but prolongs itself in my mind with fanciful echoes till I start from my reverie and find that the sermon has commenced. It is my misfortune seldom to fructify in a regular way by any but printed sermons. The first strong idea which the preacher utters gives birth to a train of thought and leads me onward step by step, quite out of hearing of the good man's voice, unless he be indeed a son of thunder. At my open window, catching now and then a sentence of the parson's saw, I am as well situated as at the foot of the pulpit stairs. The broken and scattered fragments of this one discourse will be the text of many sermons preached by those college pastors. The broken and scattered fragments of this one discourse will be the texts of many sermons preached by those colleague pastors, colleagues but often disputants, my mind and heart. The former pretends to be a scholar and perplexes me with doctrinal points. The latter takes me on the score of feeling and both, like several other preachers, spend their strength to very little purpose. I, their sole auditor, can not always understand them. Suppose that a few hours have passed and behold me still behind my curtains just before the close of the afternoon service. The hour and on the dial has passed beyond four o'clock. The declining sun is hidden behind the steeple and throws its shadows straight across the street so that my chamber is darkened as with a cloud. Around the church door, all is solitude and an impenetrable obscurity beyond the threshold. A commotion is heard. The seats are slammed down and the pew doors thrown back. A multitude of feet are trampling along the unseen aisles and the congregation bursts suddenly through the portal. Foremost scampers a rabble of boys, behind whom moves a dense and dark phalanx of grown men and, lastly, a crowd of females with young children and a few scattered husbands. This instantaneous outbreak of life into loneliness is one of the pleasantest scenes of the day. Some of the good people are rubbing their eyes, thereby intimating that they have been wrapped, as it were, in a sort of holy trance by the fervor of their devotion. There is a young man, a third-rate coxcomb, whose first care is always to flourish a white handkerchief and brush the seat of a tight pair of black silk pantaloons which shine as if varnished. They must have been made of the stuff called everlasting or perhaps of the same piece as Christian's garments in The Pilgrim's Progress for he put them on two summers ago and has not yet worn the gloss off. I have taken a great liking to those black silk pantaloons but now with nods and greetings among friends, 
I have taken a great liking to those black silk pantaloons. But now, with nods and greetings among friends, each matron takes her husband's arm and paces gravely homeward, while the girls also flutter away after arranging sunset walks with their favored bachelors. The Sabbath eve is the eve of love. At length, the whole congregation is dispersed. No, here, with faces as glossy as black satin, come two sable ladies and a sable gentleman, and close in their rear, the minister, who softens his severe visage and bestows a kind word on each. Poor souls, to them, the most captivating picture of bliss in heaven is, there we shall be white. Ouch, that's so racist. All is solitude again. But hark, a broken warbling of voices and now, attuning its grandeur to their sweetness, a stately peal of the organ. Who are the choristers? Let me dream that the angels who came down from heaven this blessed morn to blend themselves with the worship of the truly good are playing and singing their farewell to the earth. On the wings of that rich melody they were borne upward. This, gentle reader, is merely a flight of poetry. A few of the singing men and singing women had lingered behind their fellows and raised their voices fitfully and blew a careless note upon the organ. Yet it lifted my soul higher than all their former strains. They are gone, the sons and daughters of music, and the grey sexton is just closing the portal. For six days more, there will be no face of man in the pews and aisles and galleries, nor a voice in the pulpit, nor music in the choir. Was it worthwhile to rear this massive edifice to be a desert in the heart of the town and populous only for a few hours of each seventh day? Oh, but the church is a symbol of religion. May its site which was consecrated on the day when the first tree was felled, be kept holy forever, a spot of solitude and peace amid the trouble and vanity of our weekday world. There is a moral and a religion too, even in the silent walls. And may the steeples still point heavenward and be decked with the hallowed sunshine of the Sabbath morn. And that was today's tale, Sunday at Home. I don't know what I was expecting, but it was not that. I have read The Scarlet Letter during my childhood years. And while I'll definitely admit that it has way more of a religious overtone than I usually like to have in my fiction, it was relevant for the time period. And I'm guessing this uh, piece that we just read, Sunday at Home, is also relevant to the time period. Uh, in fact, uh, the views of the author, if they are to be taken as sarcastic and satirical, kind of mirror my own with regards to religion and religious uh, 
bodies being given huge amounts of real estate in the middle of areas where human beings don't have enough place to stay so like if god is omnipresent and omniscient why does he or she or it need more space than actual human beings and i mean this is something where i feel gurdwaras and a lot of temples are somewhat better and even churches do this in a lot of places but they are the exceptions and not the norm religious uh, institutions as a habit do not allow disenfranchised people to run rough shot over them unless it's for a photo op or like something that they need to justify as a charitable institution which reminds me i read this awful awful thing about charitable institutions that i really hope isn't true in the modern day that most charitable institutions don't have to declare more than 5% of uh, the funds that they get in actual charity so what that means is if you donate 100 bucks to a charity if this thing that i read is accurate they only have to spend 5% of it on actual charity they can do whatever the hell they want with the rest of the 95 And guess who has the most charitable institutions linked to them? That's right, religious institutions. <laughs> anyway, what did you think of it though? The story and also the fact that I just shared with you if you want to comment on that. Leave us a voice note with your comments and I'll definitely make sure to put it in the next show. You know why? Cuz nobody has yet sent me a voice note. It's been over a year since I've been doing this podcast, guys and girls. and everybody else anyway link to sending us a voice note is in the description or you can also send us a comment with what you think about it voice notes are more preferred though music credits go to friend of the show prod redman he's on youtube and beat stars whenever you're there and looking for some classy lo-fi vibes be sure to look him up i'll see you back here soon with another small story pill to alleviate the monotony that is life in the lockdown Until then, stay safe my friends.